you can just name him. It's okay. <laughs> I get it. Happy Easter. You want to stand up? We'll get this thing going. Oh, happy day, happy day. You wash my sin away. Oh, happy day, happy day. I'll never be the same. Oh, happy day, happy day. Wash my sin away. Oh, happy day, happy day. I'll never be the same. The greatest day in history. Death is beaten, you have rescued me. Sing it out, Jesus is alive. The empty cross, the empty grave. Life eternal, you have won the day. Shout it out, Jesus is alive. He's alive and That you have saved me, and oh, 
Good morning, church. Good morning. All right, I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you so much that you loved us and sent Jesus. Jesus, thank you. This is the happy day. We celebrate that you have risen indeed. You have taken your place at the throne, and you are king of all. And we are a part of your royal family. We praise you. It is the happiest day. We are forever changed. Death has been defeated. The light is greater. Your promises are fulfilled. We cannot wait till the moment that you come back. So since we get to exist in the moment of your resurrection and your coming back, let us live like it is the happiest day every day. Let us live with urgency and expectation. We praise you, good and glorious king. You are amazing and fabulous and beautiful, and wonderful, and we love you. Bless us today. Help us remember we are forever changed. Amen. He is alive and we are free. He is alive and we have found our peace. Our King has come. He is alive and we are free. He is alive and we have found our peace. Our King has come. Your words of life to me, and through you, I'm free. And through your cross, I'm made new. All my hope is found in you. We are redeemed. It shall believe it, everybody sing it. Satan is defeated, Jesus is alive, believe it, everybody sing it. We are shall believe it, everybody sing it, Satan is defeated, Jesus is alive, believe it, everybody sing it. We are free. We are free. 
It's Friday. Jesus is praying. 
Peter is asleep. Judas is betrayed. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilified. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary is crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scarf. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sundays come. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to count. His blood dripping. His body stumbling. And his spirit's burden. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning. And evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nailed my Savior's hands to the cross. They nailed my Savior's feet to the cross. And then they raised him up next to criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. And the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved. But they don't know. It's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday, but Sunday's come. It's Friday, the earth trembles, the sky grows dark, my king yields his spirit. It's Friday, hope is lost, death has won, sin has conquered, and Satan's just a laugh. It's Friday, Jesus is buried, a soldier stands God, and a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It is only Friday. Sunday is a coming. Here we go. All right. Let me ask you again. What day is it again? All right. It's not Friday, is it? 
If you remember Thursday, you remember Friday, those were some pretty dark moments in this story. And um, we've been going through, I think, some dark moments personally for probably the duration of the Lent season. And I'm so glad that there is a gap between the time that Jesus died and the time that Jesus rose again, because that space is one that we inhabit a lot, that space of questioning. We don't know for sure until Sunday comes. And Sunday's here. And it's interesting because we've been going through a Lent devotional experience entitled Game Over. Now, whenever you say game over, that means somebody's lost and somebody has won. And Friday it would appear that, well, Jesus lost. And we get this sense that there is so much darkness in the world and darkness in the souls of people and darkness in the unseen realm that ultimately darkness wins. And during Lent, I know that I've kind of experienced that myself. You know, if you, if you write a Lent devotional entitled Game Over, you're serving notice to the devil, game is over. How do you think he received that? Well, I'll tell you how I received it in my own experience, that sense of game over. From his point of view, he's winning, and he wants to make everybody know that Jesus isn't alive, Jesus isn't worthy of being trusted or counted upon for our eternal destiny, Jesus is unreliable. And you get a sense sometimes when he presses in that well, maybe he is unreliable. Maybe he isn't there. Maybe he says when he promises he won't leave us or forsake us, he, he may or may not show up. And during the course of Lent, um, I, had, I didn't have doubts that he was alive. I didn't have doubts that he was real. But sometimes I had some moments of questioning, how close are you right now? Now, I, 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 I think I might have told Brittany or somebody when I wrote this and titled it Game Over, that I'm probably setting myself up. But I have this bad self-preservational instinct that kicks in, and so I'm prone to rush in where angels fear to tread. Uh, my life has really had a, a, a litany of things that have been accidents that have occurred because I've done things I shouldn't be doing. Broken arms, scars, getting pulled over by the police. We'll leave it at that. But one thing I can tell you is um, over the past few weeks during Lent, there's been a full court press happening. I know with me and when I would meet with the staff, I could tell that spiritual warfare had occurred in their lives as well. And then I talked to other people and I can see that there's a lot of chaos and turmoil that's being churned up. It's like the mud puddle is going to get even muddier. And I'll just tell you my kind of litany, and maybe you can compare notes a little bit. So right out of the gate uh, during Lent, I lost a tooth in the front uh, here, and that's probably why you don't see me smiling. Uh, and I was informed it cost me $4,000 to replace. So um, uh, I'm not taking up a special offering or anything like that. This is just 
Uh, not an appeal, but it's just a, a reality. However, you may want to take one out, up for me after uh, I hear after you hear this tale of woe. So then, a, a couple of weeks ago, you could I could just really feel it coming down, and I just kind of felt it in my spirit. And um, I got a phone call from my wife saying, "You need to come up to Boardman. I've I've wrecked the car." So got a new car just. Not very long ago, I was talking about it in church, and somebody said, you shouldn't have been talking about your car in church like that. Um, maybe so. And my wife gave me a phone call and said, uh, I've been in an accident. So I drove up to Boardman, and uh, right in front of Olive Garden, uh, somebody pulled out in front of her, and um, thank the Lord, uh, she was pushed into oncoming traffic uh, and went up against the curb on the other side of the road, and uh, no cars hit her. Uh, she recently had sinus surgery for a deviated septum, and um, I was deathly worried on the way up that the airbag had deployed and hit her in the face. And when I got there, I saw the airbags popped out of the car, except for one, the one in the steering wheel that would probably re-break your nose. And something told me, even though the devil's working, so is the Lord. And that was consoling. But as you know, right about that time on a Saturday at 2 p.m. a few weeks ago, our power went out for three and a half days. So I didn't come around people very much because each day it just got worse. At least the smell anyway. And people in my neighborhood were suffering from power outages as well. And obviously the drama was... Was, was shared with the broader community. So I didn't tell you that when the car was totaled right around that time that the insurance claims adjuster said, uh, we're gonna bas you're basically going to be out $3,000 less than what you got in it. So that's, that's good, right? And so I'm looking at all this and I'm saying to myself, yeah, I probably shouldn't have, ri shouldn't have written that devotional. But as uh, I'm putting 15 shingles back on my house and 10 of them on my garage, I'm wondering, should I have really said game over? Well, and also during that time, I was sick for the first time since COVID a year and a half prior. So that was fun as well. And in that state, I'm just wondering, when is it going to let up? And it was pretty intense uh, on a lot of fronts, and it wasn't just me because I remember one day I, see, I received three texts in pretty quick succession. The first one was, uh, please pray for me and have the elders pray for me. Uh, my grandson was in a school shooting in Nashville. And it wasn't a couple minutes later I got another text that said, the, the baby that our daughter was carrying has miscarried. And then not much longer after that, someone said, I have a cancer diagnosis. And I'm just thinking, you know what? There's a lot of bad happening in the world, and it's not accidental. It is intentional. It is a way of saying to human beings, yeah, you're made in the image of God, but you know what? I hate you. And I want to destroy you. And the scripture is very clear about that. The evil one came to steal, kill, and destroy. 
And as uh, Jesus was going through what we've explored in the last four, uh, last five, six weeks in the Lent devotional, four chapters that conclude the book of Luke, we saw it just intensify from a, a verbal skirmish, a conflict that happened between he and the religious leaders, to the full-out uh, possession of Judas Iscariot by none other than Satan himself, and then the high priest of all people inviting him into his home so that he could tear him up. And Jesus is going through this succession of abandonment and betrayal and ultimately execution. And Luke is pretty forthright saying this had to happen in order for the mission and purpose of God to be fulfilled. And that was to rescue us. Now, we don't fully understand the how and the why behind all of it. And we all know that we are sinners. We've heard that time and time again. And we deviate from God's purposes all the time. But for some reason, God says, you are so important that I'm willing to come into your world, embody what it's like to be a human being, forsake my divinity, and just align with you in the pain and the, and the hardship of, of living on planet Earth so that I can be a source of rescue. Now, I'm not going to kind of unfold a lot of theology other than to say things happen to people in such a way that they have no power really to overcome except for one who is more than able to offer the resources necessary to not only overcome but to, but to thrive. And there are two occasions in the, history, or in, in, the, in the season of a church that we gather together with great intensity and intentionality. One of them is Christmas, and it is a declaration that God's showing up. And, of course, when he showed up, they tried to murder him then as well. But the other event that happens, and it's actually the one in my mind that makes all the difference, and that is Easter. That is that sense that Jesus came, he did something, he did something profound, and then he redefined what it meant to live life here on earth. And because of that, it's game over. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And as the scriptures tell us, he had to do all of that to fulfill everything from Genesis up to the point where Jesus walked out of the tomb. And because of that, the resurrection changes everything. Now, I know a lot of us have heard about the preaching that is so essential regarding the cross and forgiveness, and we need to know that. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end on Friday, but rather Friday sets us up for Sunday so that we can now live in the reality of the resurrection. And you know, when we hired Amy on board, one of the things in the back of my mind was, does the reality of the resurrection define her existence? And you guys can be the judge of that. But I think we know. There's a part of her that already lives there. And what's so cool about having colleagues like Brittany and Amy and Brian is that we all know that 
And we're all kind of helping you and helping one another alongside the elders to walk in the new reality that Jesus is not only alive, but the resurrection changes everything. Now, in the scripture that we're going to read today, we see how that change starts to take effect. And at the end of the book of Luke, the last chapter, this happens. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, I'm going to read it this way, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And these aren't people from the 70s wearing 70s gear. These are people from heaven. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living, the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Let's just repeat that together. He is not here. He is risen. Oh, that's so good. It's, uh, this Easter has been so awesome. Remember how he told you while he was still in, with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners to be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered these words. And if there's one thing I want to underscore in this message is the necessity of remembering because it's pretty easy to forget who you are sometimes or what it is that your life is established upon. Or sometimes we get so caught up in the push and the pull or the full court press that all we do is just wake up each day and say, how can I survive the day? How can I get through the day? I just want the day to not be so bad. And I've heard that more the last few years than I've ever heard. And I know the struggle that people go through, the difficulties, the mental health issues, all the things that are happening are because the full court press hasn't been happening just to me or you, but to the world. And you know what that signals to me? I've been a pastor for over 30-some years. That means he's a little bit insecure about the state of affairs. He's a little bit uncertain that if the church goes through a reset during COVID, which many have, and asks the question once again, why are we here? Because all the chaos that has been pressing in on the church has led us to ask the question, why are we here? And what have we been doing that is secondary in importance? And how can we realign along the lines of what is primary of importance? And what I like about that posture is how I'm seeing it, not only in our church, but the churches that we have been meeting with monthly who have been asking that same question, how can we be proactive and aggressive with the kingdom reality that we now live in, that our lives are now established on? How can we look at the brokenness that is in the, in the community around us and say, where is the gap between the need and the way that uh, we can close it? How can we partner with people like Brightside and other people 
who have a sense of the, their ears to the ground and they're seeing the pain and the suffering, what can we do? And I just loved how that posture of what I think is loving aggression towards the community. And, you know, I didn't even bundle into the tale of woe what happened during Lent with East Palestine and how much that, in such a sinister way, disrupted the lives, the livelihood, and the well-being of the people in that community for unseen years ahead. And I realized that the only place of hope that we can find isn't out there, but it is here. Christ in you is the hope of the world. We have the answer. And not only that, if we live in the power of the resurrection, we have the source to accomplish beyond what we could ask or imagine. I really feel like, based on the resurrection, it is time for us to push back on how the world has so marginalized the church down to nothing and say, we want to recapture prayer. We want to capture influence, not in an obnoxious way, but in a way that brings to bear the love of Jesus into every situation. And these people that we're reading about in this text, they were hoping that that could happen to them. But they felt like it's Friday and we don't know what Sunday's going to bring. And so when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. And I want to underscore something in what we've been doing since Advent. We've highlighted the four women in the genealogy in a way that I think has helped us to rediscover the giftings of the people of God, male or female. And my sense is there's a lot of work to be done, and everybody who is called and gifted to do things needs to be released to do that because that is the new reality that we live in. It's the reality of the kingdom of heaven where it's, not so much about what used to be, but it is the reality of the new creation. Paul talks about that in Galatians 3.28 when he says, based on things that he's heard about Jesus' response to the women in his world and the downtrodden and the poor and slaves and the people that are far off who are non-Jewish. He said there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. But we are now one new humanity in Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean that men don't have testosterone and women don't have estrogen. And in the home, it creates a certain dynamic. But it does mean that whenever we do kingdom work, we have to lead together. And when you read the Gospels, you find that, interestingly enough, women are are reported as being engaged in doing things that really cross some lines. 
And the very first people to be harbingers of the new creation are these three. And where are the men? They're hiding. And I'm not trying to pile on the men. I'm just saying we all have to step up. And what I appreciate about that is what we're going to discover about not only these guys, but about where the men are coming from. And when they told them this, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Which, on that, on that point again, if I were going to tell people about Jesus rising from the dead, and it was a made-up story, in that culture, in that time, the last thing that you would do is say, well, the women told us. Because there was such an attitude about the credibility of their voice in those settings that that's probably the last thing strategically that you want to do is give testimony that the women were the ones to tell it first. And what is being signaled to us is the fact that Jesus is breaking down some stuff here. And these ladies are telling the men it happened. The men are defaulting back to, hey, that's nonsense. But Peter, who has been taken to the woodshed, not once, but three times, and has betrayed the person who was his best friend, he's paying attention. He's been a little bit, how shall I say it, seasoned by the things he's gone through. And now he's listening a little bit more carefully to what people are saying, male or female. And he gets up and doesn't say, he's like, I'm going to go check this out. No, he puts on his best pair of Michael Jordans and out the door he goes. And he ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wandering to himself what had happened. Now, twice the word wandering has showed up. And... That's for a reason. The people that were going to receive this letter were being led into a way of trusting the things that Jesus accomplished so they could trust him. And that word of wondering is actually the very first thing that people do when they question whether or not God is real or God has a word for them or God wants to know them or God loves them or God wants to adopt them into their family. I wonder. And I think if you're wondering, that's a good thing. But we don't just stay in the wondering. We move into a, maybe I'll trust this. Maybe I'll test the water a little bit and find out whether or not there is something to it. Maybe that message of the resurrection is true. And this world isn't all that there is. Because as a sidebar, one thing that I know as a pastor, there's a lot of hopelessness going on out there. There are a lot of people who feel like, I am just not sure. I am very insecure about the state of the world. And in a lot of ways, I just have an undertone of anxiety as I go through life. Not really sure. And maybe some of you have said, yeah, I don't know about this resurrection stuff. It's kind of like going to a game show. 
um, they say, hey, here's the new, new car, and I played the game, and then guess what I got? I got a new toaster oven, and I went back home with it. And some people feel like, well, that's kind of the way the resurrection is. A lot of hype, but not really much to say as an outcome. These guys didn't take that view. They took the view that not only, they not only won the car, they won the world. And it set them on fire. And it changed how they postured themselves from that point forward. They knew this was going somewhere. And if I had a dollar for every conversation with people outside of this church in the world who are saying, I don't know where this is going. And you know what I mean by this. And I'm happy to share, I believe I do. Not in an arrogant way, but in a way that's hopeful. And I love that because it is a broken world. I didn't even mention my brother-in-law was given a phone call yesterday from his best friend's wife who said that at 54, he was in the hospital as a vegetable. And she was asking him to come and help her through this. And he's agonizing over this on the phone with my wife. And I look at that pain and I see the tragedy of the moment because he was just getting ready to go pick up his daughter at the university in Indiana. And she receives that news. And as a pastor, I look at all of this pain and I say, this has to be going somewhere. It has to. This can't be the final outcome of life here on planet Earth. And one thing I have also noticed is that the farther along I go, the more despair knocks on the door. And these guys, they felt some of that. And they were hoping, they were trusting not knowing exactly how this drama should play out. But that didn't concern them as much as the fact that they trusted him and they knew that he would work it out. And I believe these ladies were attending to this funeral process with something in the back of their mind. And that is what we read in Luke six times through this, this series. Jesus said, the Son of Man must come be betrayed, suffer, and die. Six times. And on the seventh time, the angel said, hey, we're telling you, this is why he came. Now, I also know this about communication theory and just my own lack of attention. You got to hear something seven times before it's like, oh, yeah, that's the thing. You guys, are, you guys with me on that? Like somebody says something, you're like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then about by the seventh time, you're like, yeah, that's the gospel. And it is the gospel. It is, it is a historical reality that we can't prove scientifically. But I can tell you, the church wouldn't be here today if this whole thing was just based on a throne of lies. But the church is here today because there is an unseen living reality that is alive and well named Jesus in the life of his people through the presence of the Holy Spirit that redefines everything. 
And I honestly believe that our culture, when people came over from Europe, had a lot of the underpinnings of that. There, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of problems in our history. But there was something about the presence of Christ and the messiness of the people that came over and lived here on earth that established a great country. And the institutions had a degree of respect for his presence and all of that. But it's, it's also interesting to note that as Jesus has been delayed from all the institutions in our society, the outcome is this. I have young people getting married or are married who are saying emphatically, we are not having kids in this world. And what's changed? And I would say the reality of the presence of Jesus in a powerful way through the lives of a whole cross-section of people, if it hasn't diminished, it's disappeared. And it's time to reactivate his presence. And what is happening in this story is the presence of Jesus is about to be reactivated in the lives of these three women, in the, in the Apostle Peter, who screwed up so badly, but Jesus said, I still love you, because that's just the kind of God that we worship. And then that just begins to unfold into a whole lot of lives saying, yes. And that's really what the resurrection at the end of the day is. It is God's Yes, for all the promises of God are fulfilled in him. It says yes. The Apostle Paul, I spent a couple of years ago just meditating on these verses from Philippians 3, 10, and 11. And Paul said, I put everything aside regarding my accomplishments and accolades and attaboys. I just want to know these things. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, and be like him in his sufferings. Sufferings will come to Christians, but knowing him makes it okay. And the resurrection is Jesus' way of saying, I'm not only alive, but now through the Holy Spirit, I am redistributed through countless lives in space and time, so that the influence of the kingdom and the new reality of the new creation can come alive in us. And my heart is set on seeing that happen with this church. And I know I'm not alone in that. But the leadership of this church has that same desire. We want to be a different people. And we want to trust that the lies of the devil who says, hey, you're nothing, you're nobody, you're worthless, you can't do it, you should just... Try to survive, pay your fire insurance, go to heaven when it's done. We don't believe that. We want to walk into a new way of life that redefines our posture towards everything and everyone. And in the story, these ladies and this guy, and then Paul a little bit later on, all said, the resurrection has been the game changer. It is the thing that redefines everything. Now, as we just kind of see the so what in all of this, because we can come to Easter and we can say Jesus is alive and we can sing it. And boy, wasn't that a powerful worship, by the way? 
I hope the Lord received that well. I hope the Lord knows that as imperfect as we are, even sometimes as we think about David and as imperfect as he was, the one thing that counted with God was, but he still loved me. He still worshiped me. And I'm going to perfect all of those flaws in him as he does in us. And so we come here in mercy and grace, and we celebrate the fact that it is now open for us to be in the presence of God. A couple of things I want to just tag on to. Did you notice the garden stuff here? If you know the Bible story well, you know that it starts out with a garden. And you know that Jesus has a garden experience. It's very painful. And in that experience where the garden is so broken, which you guys did such a fantastic job helping us to explore the connections. Jesus said, if it be your will, take this cup from me. And that word cup is so interesting in this whole context because not only is Jesus alive, not only is the new creation coming, but there is a connection that is being reestablished that has a kind of intimacy that, is, that is, can only be captured by a wedding metaphor. When heaven and earth come together, when the two become one, and Jesus turns to that imagery when he says, um, I'm, I'm the groom and you're the bride. And there's a cup that symbolizes something that helps that connection to come alive. And it's something that we remember. Remember these things every week. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but in the world of Jesus, there was something called the marriage cup. And during biblical times, a young man who wanted to marry would accompany his father to the chosen woman's house where she and her father would be present. And they'd negotiate a steep bride price. The money or physical items that the woman's father would ask for in exchange for giving up his valuable daughter. Apparently, there was a first century custom that the young man's father would then hand the son a cup of wine. And the son, in turn, would offer it to the woman, saying, I love you. I offer you my life. Will you marry me? And if she drank it, it would seal their engagement. She accepted his life and gave him hers. If not, she simply declined. At the end of the book of Revelation, when it talks about God reuniting with us in the very physical and real sense, it's marriage imagery. It is the groom coming back for the bride. And Jesus, when he is in the garden, he's saying, this whole thing is broken, even this cup is broken. And instead of a cup of celebration and joy, it is a cup of suffering that I have to I have to consume so that I can purchase my bride. Is she worth it? And we know that's the whole reason he came, is because he looks at you and I in all the messiness, and he says, you are worth it. 
Did you notice it kind of looks like a wedding up here? There is a sense of celebration in the room that I think is on par with the wedding celebration. And I don't believe that as these things are all bundled together, it is accidental. But rather, it is a way of just saying, God's heart is after you to a degree that you cannot even comprehend. But there is one who says, I don't believe the game's over, who tells us, you're not worthy. You got too much baggage. You know that thing, that shame, that sin, that thing that you carry with you. How dare you? And Jesus is like, I love you this much. Please dare. And when Jesus calls us into a relationship with him, it's not unlike a marriage. Now, I I think when my wife married me, she looked at me and she said, I can fix that, I can change that, and I can tweak that. And I looked at her and I said, we can adjust that, we can tweak this, and we can do that. Time, time will tell you what, where the failure broke down. But God looks at us and he says, I love you just the way you are, but too much not to transform you into something so much greater that I destined you to be to begin with. And I hope you can just absorb the substance of that. Because they did. Paul did. So he said, you know, I, I, you know I, 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 want to, I want to know him and power of his resurrection and be like him in his sufferings. Like tell the devil, hey, game over, and then pay for it, which he did. But he said, I do not care because guess what? Jesus is alive and you lose. And that cup goes from one of suffering to when the bride meets the bridegroom to one of celebration. I just want to tell you that there is hope because he is alive. And there is life beyond the death that we smell around us. And there's something just around the bend that God has in store for us. And I just want to help you along in that direction. Every one of you. Now, I'll just conclude with this. My tale of woe transitioned into a tale of celebration. It happened this way. A couple of super uber people from Chicago and a person in their little Honda from Tennessee showed up. <laughs> and I'm like, I needed that. There's nothing more consoling than being together with your people. And I'm not just talking about them. I'm talking about us, and that's pretty special. 
the community that God's created is nothing like the world has ever seen because it centers around the one who is alive. And I just want to invite you into that community because we are that people that live not to see who we are in contrast to other people, but who we are in contrast to who God wants us to be so that we can be that together. And that's all I got to say. Other than game over, now the work begins. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for just drawing us around your throne together in your mercy and your grace. Thank you for that cup of suffering that you took because you had us in your sights and you saw that through all of that pain that you would go through, that your Father would always be there to strengthen you. Thank you, Father, that you sent your Son to face the biggest adversity that all of us deal with on a daily basis, the one who oppresses this world and keeps us captive. And you put your son in all the vulnerability of our humanity right into that. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that your heart has always been postured towards faithfulness to the Father. And you've shown us how to live. You've shown us your great love. Help us, Lord, where lies limit our trust. Help us to see what we need to see. And I just pray if there's anyone in this room, Father, who has not confessed your son as Lord and Savior and trusted that bloodstained cross to receive all of, the for, all of the forgiveness that we could ever ask for because of the things we've done, the shame we carry, the brokenness that keeps us oppressed. Lord Jesus, just take that from anyone here who is burdened with it. And exchange that for your new identity and your new role and responsibility of being sons and daughters of you, a good and worthy God. Lord Jesus, thank you for being faithful to your passion so that we could have a place to land in our confusion. Thank you for your open embrace of each of us as we come before your throne. And all God's people said to these things, if you believe them, together, amen. As we gather around the table... We usually think about the sacrificial death of Jesus for our sins. And that's good because it really should be our focus of remembering. But we also need to keep in mind that our host, the risen Christ, is the one who calls us to this table. It is the risen Christ who extends the open invitation to any and all who would come. It is the risen Christ that joins us together as one at the table. It is the risen Christ who is present at the table in every time and place that people gather together to remember. So as we take the bread and the cup, let us remember the Christ who died for us all. But let us also remember the Christ who has raised to call us to the new and abundant life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather around the table this morning and just celebrating Easter and what it truly means to us as Christians, we just want to pray that you help us to remember 
help us to just focus on you and just focus on the, the sacrifice, focus on the invitation that you give, uh, give to us every single day, Lord. We just ask that you just open our hearts and our minds, help us to examine ourselves so that we can come and partake this in a worthy manner. And just let us to go out into this world and just share your love with all that we meet, especially today as we celebrate. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You know, that same mess with stuff, uh, that's something real. Um, everything's working fine, no problems. As soon as we clicked on that game over slide, I don't know if the beginning of the message you saw it start going back and forth. That happened, and right at the end, something that's never happened in the 11 years I've been doing this now. Pro presenter, the slides disappeared on our program that does everything. They disappeared, couldn't get them to work. Pro presenter closed itself, reopened itself instantly. Never seen that happen. Then they came back up and they started flashing. Again, not a good thing. And now I don't know if they're working or not. So this last, is it working? All right, so we're going to close out with a song. Uh, it's glorious day casting crowns. If they disappear, most of us have cell phones. You can Google it real quick, sing along. Or most of us know this song by now, so. We're going to stand up and close on the praise. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is he. The word became flesh and the light shined among us, his glory revealed, living he loved me, dying he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. One day they led him up Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed him to die on a tree. Suffering anguish, despised and rejected. Bearing our sins, my Redeemer is he. The hand that healed nations stretched out on a tree and took the nails for me 
Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. One day the grave could conceal him no longer. One day the Jesus. Well, uh, 
I hate to say that, um, you know, it's kind of like the Carol Burnett song. You know, I'm so glad we had this time together. Uh, but um, we're going to kind of press extended play by going downstairs and uh, enjoying a meal. Uh, Josh and his team of crack chefs have preserved eggs, and there's a story there, and prepared a meal that I think uh, is going to be a blessing for all of us. So we invite you downstairs afterwards, and uh, hopefully we can see you down there. But before we go, we'll ask God to just uh, just uh, bless us as we uh, partake. Father, thank you for what we are celebrating today. It is the living reality of the risen Christ, our King, our Lord, our Savior, King of kings and Lord of lords. We declare that even as you've established that. And we align with you, Lord. We say yes to you. And as we do, thank you that you provide our daily bread. You watch out for us every day. And your angels are on guard to protect us. So many ways that in the unseen realm, our lives are affected. And so many ways in the here and now that we see you also. As we just give you thanks for a real meal that we're about to partake in a way that is, um, that, is, that is tangible from our human point of view, we pray that you'd be present with us, even as you've hosted this gathering with your own hospitality. We want to show that to whoever we can in like spirit. So thank you for Josh. Thank you those who have prepared the meal. And thank you for those who would join us. We pray that you would bless it and that you would continue to move us forward in our life in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Follow everybody downstairs. It'll, it'll, uh, you'll, you'll see where to go.